Beanbag Studios presents Nine Stories Up, a short-form narrative podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Pirma. Today's episode, True Blood. This is a story about families and the world parents create for their children. It starts with physical traits, like what a child sees when they look in the mirror. And if you're lucky, that continues to grow into an entire world that an adult can take over. This world is molded by the understanding and experience of a parent, the lessons of which become the children's own personal North Stars, sometimes passed through multiple generations. It can be a truly useful and beautiful thing, assuming what the parents believe and pass on is actually true. When it's not, it can shake the foundations of a child's world. This happened to me, and it went on for 25 years. Now, all families are unique, and mine is no different. My parents were technically married for about 10 years, but I counted as ending when my father moved out shortly after my fifth birthday. I have no idea how long they were happily married, because I don't have any memories of that time. My childhood memories include visiting my dad every other weekend and speaking to him on the phone a few times a week. During this time, my father was easily the smartest person I knew. He's one of these people whose brain processes information extremely fast. And to a kid, he was like a limitless library of knowledge for me to instantly access. Almost like growing up with your own internet. My dad owned his own landscape architecture firm and was an accomplished musician. Whether it was his accomplishments and abilities or some deep-seated sense of unworthiness of my little psyche, I spent the first three decades of my life holding everything I did to the standard of what would my dad think of it. Would that make my dad laugh? Would that make my dad proud? Now I believe everybody walking the face of this earth has their own little set of somethings that make them feel special. I'm not talking about superpowers or a secret weapon because it usually isn't something particularly powerful and depending on the person may not be too great of a secret. I'm talking about a random ability or physical trait, usually of no consequence to the larger questions of how we are or what we do. Still somewhere along the way, the specialness of these things are imprinted upon us. From then on, we elevate their importance in small ways because we believe they do the same for us. For my father, one of those special things was the fact that he had AB negative blood. And for the uninitiated, AB negative blood is held by only 0.6% of the population. The specialness of this trait was never lost on my dad. And this fact has been reinforced in popular culture by generations of television writers. You can find it on the A-Team, Dexter, if they need to work blood type into a plot, it's going to be AB negative. It's kind of like on Jeopardy, how no matter how long the question is, if they talk about an Egyptian queen, the answer is always going to be, who is Cleopatra? I learned about this specialness the hard way when I struggled with biology in ninth grade. For me, that year became one of these, oh, captain, my captain moments of my life where a great teacher who actually really wanted to be a DJ, but never got a second listen once they saw he was Asian, still taught biology, and he never gave up on me and showed me how hard I had to study to really master material. But somewhere before I'd made it to that mastery stage, 
I talked about the class with my dad and talked about blood types and how I'd learned that AB was the universal recipient and O was the universal donor. The words had barely disappeared from my mouth into the phone cord coiled around my arm when I heard my dad say, that has to be wrong. But AB has both antigens, so it doesn't treat A or B as foreign. Since O has no antigens, it isn't recognized as foreign by anybody. Look, I have AB negative blood, and it's the rarest blood type. But that's not how Mr. Lee explained it, and that's not what the textbook said. Look, they probably haven't changed those textbooks since my father was in high school. If this is supposed to be true, how come on MASH would they always make such a big deal about the last pint of AB negative blood or whatever? I'm telling you. And with that, the point was obviously moot. Of course I had to be wrong. Of course the budget-strapped New York City Board of Ed had outdated textbooks. Of course my life-changing bio teacher only took that jobs to pay the bills, so was he even really sure? I'm telling you. So I dropped the subject of blood with my father and dropped the subject of biology from my schedule throughout the rest of high school and even through college. The only time I dabbled back into blood after that conversation was to donate it. The first time was my senior year of high school when the cooler kids made it the thing to do. And then eight years later, the weekend after 9-11 while I was living in Chicago because it was the only thing we felt we could do. I remember getting a card in the mail the first time registering me with the New York Blood Center. The card had its name, my name, and in the lower left-hand corner, O positive. For those who aren't aware, O positive is the most common of all blood types, the polar opposite of precious AB negative. This was decidedly not something that made me special, and unless you count it being transfusable to a majority of blood types, it is also in no way a superpower. The topic of my pedestrian blood type did not get interesting until I decided to try and apply to dental school in my late 20s. My plan of not taking biology ever again had to obviously be reconsidered before a dental school would do the same with an application with my name on it. So there I was at a University of Wisconsin satellite campus taking freshman year biology when I met up again with blood types. But this time, it was in the context of genetics. Now, up until now, I've tried to keep this story from getting too nerdy. But please bear with me for the next few sentences, because it's important that these concepts are laid out. Blood type is determined by combining genes from each biological parent in the form of an A, a B, or an O. If a person has the AB blood type, they received an A from one parent, and a B from the other. Since O has no antigens, when a person gets A from one parent and O from another, their blood acts like type A blood. No different than if they had gotten an A from both parents. Same idea goes for B. The only way a person can have blood that behaves as type O, no antigens, is if they get an O gene from both parents. I'm going to say that again in a different way. What that means is that a person with AB type blood cannot have a biological child who has type O blood. I know that was nerdy, but did you catch that? <laughs>
Does it give you pause? It definitely gave me pause 15 years ago when I considered it. None of my classmates in this biology class, they're all like 10 years younger than I was. They probably didn't even know their own blood types, let alone had a father who wore his around like a varsity jacket. Bio 100 did not shake the foundations of what they understood their family to be. But even as I began to question the source of half my genetic material, there never was a doubt in my mind that the man with rare blood and a steel trap mind would always be my dad. See, I have a younger half-brother and an adopted half-sister from his second marriage, each of whom actually has a relationship with my mother. So our family is way beyond genetics, and no bit of scandal from 40 years ago is going to disrupt anything other than to add a mystery donor of an O blood gene to the already wacky mix that we call family. Looking back on this time, I wonder if this security in, in my family actually emboldened me to make the next monumentally stupid move of this ordeal, which was to confront my mother. Now my mother, different than my father, is a somewhat delusional optimist, an extreme extrovert. For example, when she first moved to New York City in the late 1960s, she lived at a famous boarding house for graduate students from overseas and far-flung areas of the U.S. up by Columbia. And the place actually gave her a reduction in rent because she was so good at getting people from disparate backgrounds to start talking at mixers. To my mother, everybody on earth is infinitely interesting and everything on earth is infinitely redeemable. The legend of her divorce from my father, or at least the furthest I would let her get before regretting asking about it, was that she had been willing to work on the marriage further through counseling and whatever, and he was just not interested in fighting for I had always figured this was a function of her being eight years older than he, and his desire to maybe live a different life than he had gotten into, I thought his resolve to leave came from a place of distaste and annoyance and personal growth or whatever. It never occurred to me that it could have been from a deep sense of betrayal. I called up my mother one day and, and I just cut right to the chase before she got too deep down a rabbit hole of into whatever pearl of human connection the city had unearthed for her as she traversed it that day. Cutting off your mother's story is one thing, but I can't say I recommend ever starting a conversation with your mother using, okay mom, no judgment, but. At this point the boulder was already rolling down the hill, so I held my nose and plunged into the icy waters. Uh, is there a chance that my dad is not my biological father. There was a silent, agonizing pause in the conversation, which was accentuated by the fact that my mother has very little interest or experience in silence or pausing conversation. The dead air was screaming at me that this had been a mistake of monumental proportions. The, the genie was out of the bottle. I figured she might be pausing to wonder why I asked, but it was getting long even for that. I, 
couldn't believe I'd bumbled into this moment so carelessly. I was honest about the no judgment part. It was the mid-70s for crying out loud, and she would have been about the same age then as my dad had been when he decided to leave. So if one person can have a semi-early-midlife crisis moment, so can the other. I decided I could handle whatever it was she was going to say. And finally, the pause ended with simply, no. I can't remember what I said next or what I changed the subject to, but I'm fairly certain I changed it very quickly. I soon discussed the conversation and my reasoning behind it with my father. He accepted my explanation of ABO genotyping, but said there must be a more complicated explanation to our situation that again is, is beyond the scope of freshman year biology. And he said to try to be reassuring, look, if you ever want to know who your father really is, all you have to do is look at your nose. While our ability to laugh at ourselves no matter what has kind of been a glue that keeps our weird family adhered, the question remained, how do you choose between the word of one parent, the word of another, the word of what the outside world seems to say about a situation when things just aren't adding up? Why did the obvious thing and decided to forget about it again? Got myself into dental school and I had two young children at the time. Stirring up family melodrama was not a luxury I could afford. Unfortunately for me, family ghosts decide when they return. And mine did during a pathology course my second year at dental school when we learned about a condition called the Bombay phenotype. Now it's time for another little nerdy digression, but please bear with me because like the last one, this is important. So phenotype is how a gene acts in your body. Blood types have phenotypes of A, B, A, B, and O. Remember that if you get an A from one parent and an O from another, your blood behaves as if you had A from both parents, so that's its phenotype. In the Bombay phenotype, a patient's blood is missing a fundamental factor from a different reason altogether, and therefore the blood behaves as if it's O, regardless of whether the patient has A, B, O, AB, A, whatever. It all acts like it's O. And it especially acts like it's O if it's tested by standard methods, like those the New York Blood Center would have used in 1994. So I read about this Bombay phenotype, and it was like the answer to my prayers. It totally explained my story. This is how the biological son of a person with AB blood could be measured as an O. And this was not in a Bio 100 course or a New York City Board of Ed course. This was in a graduate level course taught by a medical doctor. It was just like my dad said. There had to be a more complicated explanation that we just didn't know about yet. And the even cooler thing about the Bombay phenotype is that it is way more rare than AB negative blood. I don't even know what the percentage is of how few people have this. 
but it would definitely be the thing that made me, my special thing that made me so special. So there it was. I'd found the missing piece of the puzzle. I just had to put it into place. So to do that, I waited after our 10 a.m. lecture behind my younger classmates complaining about test questions or whatever. Once they were all done, I walked up, last in line, to put a bow on my discovery once and for all. The line to speak to this particular professor was usually pretty long because the only way anyone would ever predict that she was a pathology professor would be if she was having to play one in a Van Halen video. So you can imagine she was ready to go by the time I rolled in and laid out the whole story for her. My dad's blood type, New York Blood Center, MASH, conversation with my mother. What I asked her was, is the Bombay phenotype the explanation for this whole thing? The look on her face was a bastard child of bewilderment and annoyance. With the smallest hint of pity, a person who has earned herself a medical degree but elects to teach about disease rather than treat human beings is comfortable ever mustering. After the second uncomfortable silence I'd experienced with a woman during this ordeal, she quickly snapped fully into character and pointedly asked, Do you know why they call it the Bombay phenotype? Uh, because they first discovered it in India? Partially. But really they call it that because that is the only area of the world where it is seen. So, I ask you, are any of your relatives from India? To say she asked this with a hint of sarcasm would be a gross misuse of the word hint and an insult to the word sarcasm. While I realize that we can sometimes be fooled by people's voices, the only non-wasp feature apparent on my body is the Ashkenazi nose that I talked about before. <laughs> Have my mystery biological father been capable of carrying the Bombay phenotype, there would be no question in my mind as to whether my dad had supplied my genes. Since I didn't have to directly answer her question, I asked her, well, what do you think the answer is then? She rendered her differential diagnosis with the clinical detachment of a professional, still disbelieving her time was being used in this fashion. Most likely, the blood typing was done incorrectly. Probably back when you were in high school. That or your dad isn't your father. With that, she changed out her Christian Louboutins for winter boots like a bizarre Mr. Rogers, signaling my time was up. So I let it go again. Graduated. Became a dentist. Started practicing in North Carolina in a locum tenens capacity. Driving to far-flung offices all over the state. Passed the time with podcasts, mostly. One of those featured a self-described gumshoe who would solve obscure and somewhat mundane mysteries for her clients. Midway through binge listening to her first season, I was looking through a stack of old credit and shopper cards my wife had accumulated over the years in this file drawer we had moved with us from house to house and state to state. I stumbled across a gray card in it, that set across the top Chicago Blood Center. Underneath the label was my name. Directly to its right was O positive. One bad blood typing? Sure. 
I'll give my pathology professor that. But two bad blood typings in different states, seven years apart, the ghosts would not leave me alone. I decided to write to the podcast and ask for help with my mystery. I imagine this gumshoe interviewing me, my mom, my dad. Maybe she'd track down the guy in the leisure suit and turban that my mother encountered at Studio 54 or wherever one night. Or maybe just a blood expert who could finally explain what the hell was going on so I could have something else intermittently haunt me for the next 25 years. I penned a letter pretty much saying what I've told you to this point, probably a little more brief, went on Google to search how to actually submit this, and the first hit in the results smacked me like a ton of bricks. It said, Gimlet Media is not renewing Mystery Show after award-winning first season. I suppose there are some things we are just not meant to know, no matter how much we try to complicate them. I put the letter away until my father visited me about a year or so later, once he was cleared for travel following heart valve surgery. I handed him the laptop and watched him scroll down the twists and turns of the 25-year-old story that just didn't add up. On one hand, there was multiply reinforced scientific reality. On the other was the word of the two people whose understanding of the world was primary in sculpting my own. He reached the bottom of the word doc and said, This is good. You still write well. I could feel the approval rushing through me like a warm blanket, the same way it always had when I would make him proud or I would make him laugh. But I could see in his face that he wasn't done and he was merely setting me up for the last laugh. He said, yeah, so you'll get a kick out of this. When I had the pre-op blood work for my latest surgery, it turns out I actually have B-negative blood. I'll repeat that a different way. Because while B-negative blood is also pretty rare and carried by about maybe 1% of the population, it is wholly within the realm of scientific possibility that a B-negative father can be the biological dad of an O-positive son. So it turns out this mystery donor of half my genetic material I was so excited to meet is my father. <laughs> mystery solved. It's funny how I tend to be a person that subscribes to Occam's Razor, that theorem that when complicated situation, the simplest answer is probably the correct explanation. But it's so funny how in the world my parents helped construct for me, such a strong tenet of that was that my father's not wrong. My father can't be wrong. That was never, never open for discussion in my head as I let this drag on for 25 years. This episode of Nine Stories Up was written and produced by me, Hunter Piermont, in association with Beanbag Studios in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Our theme music is Short Stories, written and performed by the great Harry Chapin, licensing graciously provided, courtesy of Warner Chapel Music. Our cover art is by Jack Aguirre. You can see more of his portfolio on Instagram at cult underscore NYC. If you have a story to tell or want to provide feedback, we can be reached on the major social media platforms at the number nine stories up or our email address, the number nine stories up at gmail.com. We ask you be gentle in your responses as we are not doing this to win a Peabody or create generational wealth.
you still like one blood type for me. Well, I'm type O positive, and mommy's type B positive. So that means what? You could be O, or you could be... I gotta be B, it runs in my bloodline. Well, you could be O. Why? Didn't you listen to the episode? No. 